Good morning. Uh, Open a Bible or open your Bible app to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to get there in just a bit. Uh, Before we we do that, I have a couple housekeeping things. One, uh, several of you this morning have asked me about our Christmas Eve offering uh, for disaster relief in Kentucky. Uh, If you'd still like to participate in that, if you didn't get a chance on Christmas Eve, uh, you can... If, you're, if you want to write a check for that, it just put disaster relief in the memo. That would be fine. Or online, there's a way to designate for disaster relief as well. And the other thing is that next Sunday, we are starting a new series in the book of Acts. We're going to be spending a lot of time in 2022 in Acts. And whenever, around here, whenever we start a new book of the Bible, uh, we usually order a bunch of uh, scripture. I meant to grab one. A bunch of scripture journals. You can just imagine it. It's right here. It's a book. Uh, we have those out at our bookstore. If that's something you'd like, they're, they're very helpful. There's the, the, the Bible text, the Acts text on one page, and then every page has a place for notes. So if you're a note taker, uh, go ahead and you can pick one of those up today if you'd like, and then we'll start that new series next Sunday. Life is a profound journey. Every one of us is on some sort of, of journey, whether that's intentional or not. We are a people on the move. The earth is continually revolving around the sun at a rate of 67,000 miles per hour. That means that in any given year, the earth travels 587 million miles. Add to that the rotation of the earth on its axis. While the speed of that rotation may vary depending on where you live on the planet, the the average speed is 1,000 miles per hour. So, So even if you never moved, you are constantly on the move. As we finish up looking at the Christmas story today, the arrival of Jesus. We're going to walk with a group of men who were, who were guests at his arrival, though they had to take an amazing journey to get there. Traveling unknown miles, these guests show us that the most important part of any journey is the destination. Matthew 2, starting at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So here in Matthew 2, we're introduced to a strange group of men known as the wise men, or the magi. You know, they're a traditional piece of the nativity scene. Typically, we see three. We three kings. And, you know, we typically see them hanging out with the shepherds at the manger. That's not really how it went down, uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. And while this journey seems to conclude a bit after Jesus had been born, the journey was motivated by Christmas. Though they ended up being late for his birth, Jesus' arrival is what prompted these men to travel so very far. So two questions about these guys. Who are they, and how did they know to look for the newborn Jesus? First, who are the wise men, the magi? Well, the the short answer is we don't really know much about them. Scholars have made a few conclusions about them. Magi comes from the same root word for magic, but it's it's best for us to think of them as astrologers, not magicians in the card trick sense of the word. Matthew identifies them as coming from the east. The language here points us towards Babylon and Persia, modern day Iraq and Iran. They are wealthy. As seen by the gifts they bring, they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And if they only brought small amounts of these gifts, we're still talking about thousands of dollars today. They have some sort of prestige and clout. They were most likely some sort of royal court astronomers. 
Next, how did they know what they knew? What, what star did they see? Well, let's start with how they knew what they knew. We, we usually picture places like Iraq as outside of, of where Bible events took place, but that's not the case. Some very important biblical events took place there. Most importantly, the Babylonian exile. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, we read about King Nebuchadnezzar invading and conquering Jerusalem in 586 BC. Uh, he, he took Israelites from the royal family and the nobility from Jerusalem back to Babylon to work in his court. And one of them was named Daniel. And he became very important to King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he became one of the king's most trusted advisors. In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that frightens him. So he calls in his wise men, his magi, to interpret the dream, the dream for him. They're unable to do so, but Daniel's called in and he successfully interprets the dream. Look, let's look at what the Bible says about Daniel. In Daniel 2, 47, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave, then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Almost 600 years before Jesus is born, a Jewish man becomes the chief magi in Babylon. Daniel led these magi and would have most definitely left a message with them that an eternal king to come, uh, that there was an eternal king to come. And this is evidenced by his prophecies uh, later in his book. Daniel knew the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah to be born. And this is how the Magi in Matthew 2 know that they are looking for the king of the Jews because a Jew had told them about a king that was to be born. And even beyond Daniel's influence, these Magi were living in a time when people were anxiously waiting for something big to happen. You know, Jewish and Roman historians, they both write that there was a general consensus at the time that an eternal emperor was going to rise out of Judea. So the entire world was looking toward Judea, just waiting for him to arrive. So what did they see in the stars that led them to Jerusalem and then Bethlehem? Well, some point to Haley's comment that was recorded in 11 BC. Uh, outside of a miraculous star created by God just for this purpose, the most likely phenomenon that they saw was the rare alignment of Jupiter and Saturn. When those two planets align, it looks like an insanely bright new star in the sky. And this rare alignment happened three separate times in the year 7 BC on May 29th, October 3rd, and December 4th. One more crazy bit of info here is that according to ancient astrologers, Jupiter was known as the royal planet and Saturn had long been the symbol for Israel. So the planets, so maybe the planets representing royalty and Israel aligned and that prompted the Magi looking for a Jewish Messiah to come asking to worship the newborn king of the Jews. There's a mixture of naturally occurring events in the stars, biblical prophecy, and God's work sovereignly orchestrating history, and they all combine to prompt this amazing journey. So the Magi head towards Judea, not knowing their final destination. You know, it's not like the star gave them an address or, or GPS. So they go to the place that you would logically go if you were looking for a king. They go to Jerusalem. They go to the capital city, and they end up in the king's palace 
asking to see the newborn king. And that doesn't go so well. Let's go back to Matthew 2, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod's reaction here is to be deeply troubled. And the word literally translates as terrified. Herod is terrified at this news. And here's why. Herod's title is King of the Jews, given to him by the Roman Senate in 40 BC because of his friendship with Mark Antony. But he wasn't born as that. He had to struggle for it. He had to work for it. Herod Herod had married nine times to secure allies and his political power. He politicked and maneuvered to get his position, and he eliminated any threat to that position. Uh, Ian talked about this a few weeks ago. Herod killed one of his wives, her two brothers, his mother-in-law, and three of his sons because he suspected them of treason, along with half of the Jewish Sanhedrin and hundreds of prominent citizens. We also read in the text that everyone in Jerusalem was also troubled. Of course they were. When someone threatens Herod's throne, people know that the killing is about to start. So at first, Herod seems to be taking the news well. He, you know, he offers to help them by summoning the religious leaders. He gets them a location, an approximate age of the child they're looking for. And he ends his time with the Magi with a seemingly kind request. He says, when you find the newborn king, please tell me because I want to, to come with you and I want to worship him as well. So the wise men agree and then they head out to Bethlehem. Verse nine, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So this star, it guides them to Bethlehem. This is just a short five-mile journey from Jerusalem. And there they find Jesus and his family. And here is where the the biblical account and then our traditions differ. This scene isn't in the manger, but it's in their home. Uh, The word used for child here to describe Jesus is a word used for toddler. So at this point, Mary and Joseph, they've settled into a house. They've put down some roots. And really, regardless of when or where this event occurs, the Magi do what what they set out to do. That's the important part. They joyfully worship the king. They present their elaborate gifts and worship Jesus. For the wise men, their journey is now complete. Herod's journey, however, is far from over. Herod realizes that the the wise men have outwitted him. Hello, wise men. Of course they will outwit you. Now, his murderous rage kicks in and he decides that he's going to do something to eliminate this threat to his power. And instead of 
and this is really sad, instead of investigating who or where the Messiah is, he simply orders all children of appropriate age to be slaughtered. But his plan doesn't work. God warns Joseph in a dream what was gonna happen and they flee to Egypt. Most likely they land in Alexandria where there, there, there was a large population of Jews who had, who had left Israel there to escape Herod's reign. The king has not been thwarted by King Herod. God's plan is still going strong. Nothing will stop it. In fact, God's plan is eternal. It's gonna far outlive Herod. So what can we take away from this incredible account? Well, we're all looking for a king. We're all looking for something, for someone to devote our lives to. We are all on this same journey, but how we look for a king, where we look for a king, determines the destination. And those destinations carry some vastly different results. King Herod's journey to find a king is a journey of power. His entire life had been consumed with establishing his own kingdom. He did literally whatever it took to gain the throne. He lashed out at anyone who dared to challenge him. He manipulated, he lied, he deceived, he murdered, all just to keep his throne. He did everything he could to establish his kingdom and control. His will was priority. Herod was on a journey focused completely on himself. He looked for a king and he decided it was himself. And as Herod shows us, that journey ends in a bad place. Herod's journey is characterized by fear. He's always paranoid. He's always looking over his shoulder. His journey is characterized by insecurity. He never had enough. He was never content. And his journey ends in death for him and for all around him. And isn't that the story of humanity? Isn't that our story, the original temptation given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that finally convinced them to eat the forbidden fruit was what? It was, it was that their eyes would be opened and they would be like God. The story of humanity is the quest for power, to be masters of our own fate, keepers of our own destiny. The American dream is to gain control over your life, to have all the comforts and freedoms that you desire to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And truth be told, we're all pretty good at, at building our own little kingdoms. And what we don't always realize is that this kind of journey is in opposition to Jesus. When we pretend to be king, we see Jesus, the true king, as a threat. Let's contrast that journey with the journey of the wise men. You know, they were pursuing a king as well but they were chasing the one who was greater than them. And instead of seeing Jesus as a threat, they saw him as the king, worthy of their worship. Their humble submission to Jesus meant that their journey ended quite differently from Herod's. Their journey ended with joy. They celebrated in their worship of Jesus. They joyfully surrendered to him. And it turns out that joy is not found in the accumulation of power or palaces, Joy is found in humble submission to Jesus. When you experience the thrill of hope, the response is worship. The response is to orient your life around Jesus, to make him the centerpiece of your life. The invitation that he extends to you 
to me is to come to him as we are and with what we have. You know, as we prepare for a new year this week, I'm sure that many of us will be thinking about some things that we want to accomplish in 2022. You know, we have, we, we make goals and that's a good thing. As a church, we've been, we've been making plans too. You know, we have ministry events. Uh, Trisha said this in the video. We have ministry events, Bible studies. We have groups lined up for the winter and spring. We're gonna continue to gather every Sunday here to worship together. And all of those plans, whether it's something that's personal for your life or something that we are planning at this church, all of those plans depend on Jesus for meaning. Without him, they're, they're empty. You know, in order for this church to succeed in 2022, we could point to a number of things. You know, there are a lot of metrics for success. We, we could say for success in whatever ministry that we're talking about at the time that you know, we need more volunteers, we need more resources, we need more people to, to attend. And while those things may be true, what is really needed here are more people humbly submitting their lives to Jesus in worship. That's what we need. More people choosing to center their lives around him. More people choosing to build his kingdom rather than their own. For me, when, whenever I feel like I'm, I'm stuck in a rut, it's usually because I've been building my own kingdom. Whether that's on purpose or I just get complacent and, and don't think about it. I've learned that, that my default is to be concerned about my own life, my own family, my own comfort, my own kingdom. And I hope that I'm not the only one that happens to, because if I am, this just got really awkward. Today, because of God's grace, we can come to him and say, God, I've, I've really messed this up. I want to build your kingdom and not mine. You know, it's okay to make plans. It's okay to care about the things in your life. But live each day knowing that God wants to be part of your plans and he cares very much about your life. And not only that, he's inviting you into something greater. I'm gonna say this again. There is joy found in humbly submitting to Jesus. When we do that, the other things that we, we get concerned about, they just seem to work out. When we humbly submit to Jesus, to quote Ephesians 3.20, God does far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. I was thinking about the, that passage more this week. You know, we're starting the book of Acts next, next Sunday. We're gonna be there for a while. We're gonna walk through the passages looking at what the early church did, what God did through the, the first Christians. And one of the, the leaders in the early church, Paul, he wrote those words. He said, God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to his power at work within us. He didn't just write that. He experienced that. The church experienced God doing far more than they could even dream. So let's make that our prayer. Let's make that our prayer as we approach a new year. God, would you do more than we can even imagine? God, we wanna build, we wanna be people who build your kingdom and not our own. Every week we take communion together. Communion can be a time for you to recenter your life around Jesus, to affirm that, that you wanna build his kingdom. But before we do that, let's look at the gifts that the wise men bring to Jesus. They bring gold. 
a precious metal known as the king's metal. Gold has always been associated with, with royalty. So by their gift, they are acknowledging who Jesus is. They bring frankincense. This is an aromatic resin that was used by the Jewish priests in the temple. And as the priests stood as the mediators between God and humanity, this gift is acknowledging that Jesus is the one who came to, to bring final reconciliation between God and mankind. They bring myrrh. This is a potent spice that was used in embalming and to prepare bodies for burial. This gift is, sure, is foreshadowing what Jesus will ultimately do as he goes to a cross and brings final reconciliation with God. In these gifts, we find who Jesus is, why Jesus came to earth, and how much it will cost him. This is what we remember at communion. Who Jesus is, he's our savior, our Lord. What Jesus has done by his death, burial, and resurrection. With the bread and the cup, we remind ourselves of the cost of our salvation. And after we take communion, we're gonna, we're gonna sing more together. And that time is just an extension of what we're doing during communion. It's a time to focus on Jesus, to put him at the center. It's a time to bring a gift to our king, to, to place our lives before him and say, God, I'm yours. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the free gift of your grace. God, I... If I wasn't able to be reminded often, God, of your great patience with me, I, God, I'd fall apart. God, we are a people who desperately need you. God, and yet we still, we still pursue other things. We still seek after our own kingdoms. So God, would you, would you help us? Would you remind us now as we take communion of of how much it cost you. How much it cost you for, for us to be able to have a relationship with you, to experience your grace and your mercy. God, would you be with us this week, God, as we, as we maybe think about the new year? And God, would, would you make the desires of our hearts? God, would you make those desires what you desire? God, would you, would you help us to be focused on the things that you want, that you want to do in us, the things you want to do through us? And God, I pray that both for the people in this room and God, collectively as your church, as the body of Christ, God, we, we humbly submit to you. And God, thank you for the joy that comes from knowing you. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.